Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Country Wine and Spirits is the number one online source for wine and spirits, offering over 3,000 products. You won't find a better selection of spirits and wines anywhere else. You can order everything from the most popular brands to some brands out there that you may not know of, but you should definitely try. They also have gift boxes for those special occasions that are coming up. To check out Country Wine and Spirits and go find that perfect spirit for yourself, go to cwspirits.com. And when you check out, use coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 and get 5% off your entire order. That's cwspirits.com, coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 for 5% off. Hey, my name is Kevin Canchola. I'm the Glenfiddich Ambassador here in the Midwest, and you are listening to Hey Bartender Podcast. Hey bartender, have me a drink. A reason that I'm here is I need time to think. All the ways of the world have really got me down. But if you're ready to get started, we'll do this. Yeah, sounds great, man. Yeah, I just. I just got off my day job, so when I got the text message saying, are you joining us? I was like, oh, crap! <laughs> Double shifted. So, Kevin, welcome to Hey Bartender Podcast. How are you doing today? Cheers, Anthony. I'm great. Great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So, uh, where are you from? Born and raised, Southside Chicago. It's important to mention the Southside because, uh, you know, we're the biggest little city on the planet, and, uh, you know, we're quite divided by baseball and many other things. Yes, uh, I've heard that many times, whether you're a Sox fan or a Cubs fan, that that can uh, start just as good of fights as if you're a Mets fan or a Yankees fan. A hundred percent. But uh, so uh, you're in Chicago right uh, right now. And what's the weather like out there right now? Oh, man, it's very Chicago. You know, last last weekend we were in the I think we hit 80 degrees out of nowhere. And here we are today at a nice, brisk 40 degree day. Well, they don't uh, so never know. Are the rumors true? They call it the Windy City and uh, all of that? Yeah, oddly enough, that's a crazy uh, political story from the 1800s. They would say that the politicians would favor, you know, whichever way the wind blew that day. Uh, <laughs> but we truly are a Windy City, uh, you know, mostly because of the large buildings downtown. But, it, you know, you, you do get those gusts of winds and then you get the lake effect as well. So we are, in fact, a Windy City. <laughs> Okay. Now, now, finally, I get the get the details on that because I was just for uh, up until about ten seconds ago, I was always thought, well, it must be just always windy there. But um, that's a logical thought, right? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, like I said, like I told you before the show started, I like to kick off the show with a drink special. What do you have for us today? You know, being a brand ambassador, I, I got to rep my brand. And if I were at a bar with you right now, I would order us up to Glenfiddich 14 Old Fashioned. Oh, uh, Glenfiddich in an Old Fashioned. Okay. I don't hear many people do that. I usually hear people drink Glenfiddich straight up, but, or on the rocks. But 
uh, as an old fashioned, uh, is there a unique flavor or a taste to it? I mean, in general, the way you drink single malt historically, because it's been around for hundreds of years, is neat, or like you said, with some ice, with some water, things like that. Uh, I never want to take away from the folks who love it that way, and I drink it that way. Sometimes I want it that way and no other way. Uh, but in my opinion, you know, having been a bartender for such a long time and um, being an ambassador, you know, I don't want to drink neat every time I go out and do my job. Sometimes I want a nice old-fashioned now. As you know, being a former bartender, it's a simple quarter ounce of simple syrup, usually Demerara. And I think that's such a small amount. I think that you're balancing the cocktail between that and the bitters, but that small amount of sugar, in my opinion, uh, opens up a ton of flavor. Oh, okay. That's great. When it comes to old fashions, I was accidentally turned off by it uh, years when I've actually first started being a bartender. I uh, just recently had a, a really good one. Uh, at a Christmas party, but, uh, I was turned off to it because the bartender at the bar, uh, I should have told him to take the drink back because, uh, because he said, I don't have any oranges. So I just put a little orange juice in it. And, uh, th- like I said, this was right when I started, uh, started bartending. So I was just like, whatever. And that was, that turned out to be a horrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there before, right? Ordered that drink, got it not even close to the way you wanted it. But, uh, you know, if we've been in the industry, you know, it's our duty to go ahead and finish that drink if we can. <laughs> yeah. So you're an ambassador for Glenn Fittick right now. Now, before we get, yeah. uh, before we get into that, let's, uh, start back a little bit in your past. When did you start out in the service industry? Oh my goodness. Um, so actually I truly started, um, bartending and doing other jobs in nightlife. Um, geez, the time frame is going to be tough for me. Let's say circa 2007, mm-hmm. uh, sounds about right to me. <laughs> um, maybe, probably maybe a year or two prior to that. Anyway, we're in that realm that, that, that time frame, And, uh, I would work in nightclubs because I spent a lot of time in them at that age at that time. And all my, I began to become friends with everyone who worked there, managers, promoters, DJs bartenders and I felt it would be the most lucrative way during college to go ahead and, you know, make my money and still be a a student and live the life I wanted to live. Now that's something that uh, is very common that I talk to about, uh, talk about with my guests quite a bit is that they were going to college and they needed a job to get some extra cash here and there. And I'm still a very, very firm believer that working in the restaurant industry or the service industry in general is a great way to keep money in your pocket and still be able to go to school or pursue some kind of passion that you may have in life. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with it. I'll tell you what though. Um, it was a few, it was about a, at least five years between that time frame and when I really started taking it seriously. And when I started taking it seriously, um, you always hear about it. Every bartender has a, a gripe or a, something to grumble about, um, in some way or another. And mine was working alongside those people who said, I'm just doing this so I can finish school and things like that. Oh, because they didn't sound like that they were going to be stable or they weren't, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, faithful to the job or. Yeah. Call it, call it, you know, emotionally invested or or however you want to put it. But it was like, you're going to come here every day and we have the same tasks and we're meant to work as a team. 
um, it's tough when one of your teammates is looking at this as a temporary situation. And you can actually kind of tell when, as they're working that they're only doing it half-assed just so they can, you know, get the paycheck and get back to whatever they were doing. Yeah, and I mean, that's not always the case. Sometimes people are just awesome people who can handle the task in front of them while multitasking their long-term plans as well. You know, I worked alongside plenty of those people, but you do get some some people in between who just are just buying their time. Right. So uh, what were you going to school for? Oh, my. I wanted to be a communications major. Uh, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write about things. Um, Vice was becoming very, very popular, and it was an alternative source of media, and I was hugely motivated by alternative media at the time. Um, and I thought I could just write, I could do what I love, uh, avoided math classes for about, uh, two years of college because <laughs> I really only cared about writing and I wasn't that great at math. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, is eventually, uh, I, I took one summer off and landed a job in Chicago at a staple that's been here for 50 plus years known as the pump room. Uh, you know, Frank Sinatra had a booth there once upon a time. Phil Collins wrote an album after after he was asked to leave uh, because he wasn't wearing a jacket. And I believe that was uh, the 1980s. No jacket required. Uh, okay, I get it. <laughs> no jacket required, yes. <laughs> and um, there I was in the, you know, it was about 2010 uh, working there. And I was like, man, these checks, like, I, I understand what it is to be a college graduate with a four-year degree. And I know what that salary looks like. Mm. And these checks I'm getting here are pretty great. Uh, and they don't come with student loans attached. Yeah. And I knew like whatever I was doing, I knew I wasn't at the peak. So I said, you know, let's continue, let's continue to take the time off from school as long as I'm happy for one, cause that's, truly important. Yes. And as long as I'm making enough money to support myself and I'm continuing to uh, make more money additionally each year. And that's what I did. That sounds great because you all of a sudden find, found something that you love to do, but you still had the option if you chose to at the time, because, you know, you said around 2010, that was 12 years ago, then a couple, practically a lifetime ago. But at the time yeah. you, you could have probably said, well, I want to get back to writing and you could have done it. And that it would have been easy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not to brag or anything, but I was an adult going to college. So I was an honor student to me, like the way to beat the game of college is to go when you're old enough to understand, like, just do what you got to do and you're going to get the proper grade for it. For some reason, when I was 18 to 21, I didn't really get that, but yeah, it would have been really easy for me to just go back to school and continue writing. Right. So uh, when you started bartending, I mean, you like you sounded like you that you made, did a lot of networking. You made friends with uh, people that were already in, in in the industry, and was that how you got your first job? So I separate the times when I was uh, working in nightlife um, because that was all fun and games, and what was I pouring vodka sodas and things like that. I wasn't doing anything near honing a craft. Um, later on. Uh, I joined, I had, I became a food runner at a farm to table restaurant, which still trends on menus today. For some reason, they still like using those terms, but this is when I believe it started in 2011 and it was a restaurant, amazing restaurant here in Chicago by the name of three aces. It's no more. And, uh, just brilliant minds came together, found a space and they wanted to do great upscale Italian cooking in a dive bar setting. 
mm. which is still, again, very a very huge trend today. And I was running food there. Um, and I love that. I love because so many of the greatest people I've met in this industry have started as a dishwasher, a food runner, a busser, a bar back. Um, and I think it's just a great way to, to start your, this journey, this journey, which is really what it is. Mm. But yeah, I started at three H's as a food runner and progressed up the chain from there. I'm really sorry. Like I said, uh, the pop culture, uh, junkie in my head went off. I'm thinking Chicago. I'm thinking dive bar with the Italian food theme. All of a sudden I'm picturing, picturing Don Corleone sitting in the corner and (laughs) probably nothing like that. It's probably all movies, but (laughs) I mean, it was in little Italy in Chicago. So the Don Corleones were definitely in the building. Uh, but they'd have to put up with uh, the the biker guys who would ride together on Sundays and come through, and then other crazy musicians because the owners just knew a ton of awesome people. So what I know Chicago mostly for, other than uh, world's t- or tallest building in America, the Cubs, uh, the White Sox, um, uh, is uh, blues, uh, uh, the blues scene. Now, uh, were you ever involved with any of that? Um, as a patron, uh, yeah. as, uh, you know, someone who loves the music, you know, there's, there's the two bars on the North side, you know, you got buddy guys and you got Kingston mine basically across from each other. Um, and you know, the story is, is that, uh, everybody would go to buddies because of his name. And, you know, we're talking about like the Belushi brothers and big names that would come to Chicago. They'd go hang there and then they'd sneak across to Kingston mine because it was that kind of more hole in the wall style with just people who really love to play. So as a patron, man, I love going to those bars, but I wasn't fortunate enough to ever work in a bar like that. Yeah. So in in the bars that you did work at, uh, what were they like? Oh, everything and everything in between. Um, (laughs) I left that, I left that food running gig because I was making at the time what I considered it to be crazy money. I was very financially motivated when I was younger um, and I was serving at a Cuban restaurant that was literally a shack and what was once a parking lot that they turned into tables. Um, and they literally started putting up tin roofs everywhere. It would look like it was out of Cuba. The owner was very, very Cuban. It was a place called 90 Miles. Mm. And I was serving there and I was making, literally I'd make like $200 in a night. And I thought that was me. Thought I was, I, I was doing great. Um, and then, you know, and I was always looking for opportunities to progress and move up. And the next gig after that was the pump room. So I, you know, I've done the hole in the wall. I've done the finer dining. Uh, I eventually moved on to one of the top whiskey bars in the nation at, uh, and I managed, uh, a stint of hotels. So I literally feel like I've done a you, little bit of everything. Yeah. You've pretty much done the customer service gambit. It sounds like, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything, which is you know uh, that's what I enjoy. Right? Did you start when you were bartending and you were working at the whiskey bar? And uh, even did you have to do a lot of studying on various types of alcohol and or spirits in general, maybe even wine? Did you have to study up on all that stuff and learn more about it in order to make suggestions for your customers? Yeah, you know, it was um, education. That was the first bar I worked at where education was an emphasis and it was driven by my uh, beverage director. So I was the, the manager, the general manager and managed the floor and reservations and, you know, back end numbers. And then my beverage director was responsible for bringing in all the great products that we had. And he had a big name 
he had just opened up uh, the aviary and left that to come be our beverage director. So he, uh, you know, having worked in the kitchen with Grant Ackett, was very big on you need to learn as much as you can. Everyone in the house, everybody who's in this building who works for this team needs to know as much as they possibly can. In fact, he served us all a bottle of pork wine one night, partially to, to snicker condescendingly, but partially because it's important to know what a bottle of pork wine is. You, you, you never want to be wrong in that instance, for one, but you always want to be able to help your, your customers in having the best experience. Of course. Uh, I mean, my knowledge of the spirits is pretty basic. I mean, if somebody asked for a true whiskey, I, I knew to go to Jack Daniels. If somebody asked for scotch, that was a little bit more difficult for me. But we'll get into that in a few minutes because you're uh, you're going to give me a full lesson, well, well, as much of the lesson as you feel like. But, <laughs> um, you know, I just remembered another thing that I uh, always think about in Chicago is that guy that caught the fly ball at the World Series. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> uh, name gave me that poor guy. Yeah. That poor guy, yeah. Ended, ended, the Cubs just crumbled after that, and they blamed the guy caught a foul ball yeah i mean I, you yeah. can't blame the guy you know getting to catch a game ball it, it's a once in a yeah. lifetime opportunity I mean, exactly but yeah uh, no fault to that guy at all. i feel so bad for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've talked to a, a number of uh chicago fans or people from chicago about it i mentioned his name some have your same reaction where they feel sorry for him and other people are People are like, oh, God, the Cubs had that game until he caught that ball. And, uh, I mean, their game did crumble pretty bad because I was bartending that night when that happened. And just all of a sudden, the fan reached out, caught the ball, and then all of a sudden that hot grounder went right past shortstop, and I thought, this game is over. (laughs) Baseball, too crazy of a sport. (laughs) But that's pretty much my sports knowledge right there. So. So any hard lessons that you had to learn while you were moving around from bar to bar? I mean, dealing with different customers and you said it, you made it sound like that you've worked in many different atmospheres. So uh, how hard was it to learn the new customers or learn the new atmosphere? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. I, I actually, I really love that question because I think, at the end of the day, what we need to understand or what the industry needs to understand, and, and this brings up a big issue that I have an issue with as an ambassador that we get to see firsthand is um, a lot of bartenders are quick to become jaded. Mm-hmm. Um, they see big personalities every day. Not only do they see them, but they have to serve them. So it's easy to be a condescending bartender. It's easy to be just angry in general. Um, but what I think we need to understand as bartenders to answer your question is that all customers can basically boil down to the same category and they just want to have a good time. Of course. Yeah. Now that's, that's with that being said, that's different for everyone. First of all, and every personality is different. Some people who walk into a bar just want to be right. Some customers. And we need to understand that we don't always need to correct the customer. Sometimes we need to let the customer be right when they're wrong. (laughs) Uh, But we're there to provide an experience and we want people to like us and like the bar that we represent. So 
I think we just try to enhance experiences at all and not all costs, but at as much cost as we can afford to. If somebody walks into your bar and you're, you know, you have a lovely cocktail menu and they want a vodka soda, give them the vodka soda. Right. And some conversation. And maybe they want to come back now to your bar because you've given them what they wanted and now they can enjoy that cocktail menu. Right. I've, uh, saying things like that reminds me of a story. A guy once told me that uh, he was a bartender in Las Vegas in one of the big casinos. And this one customer who was, he he guessed around 24 years old, maybe slightly younger, but he would always come up and order a Louis Louis XIII and Red Bull. And that, you know, floored me. Uh, I was just like, are you kidding me? That's this what, five, $7,000 bottle and he's mixing Red Bull with it? And, uh, but the kid, you know, $400 drink, but the kid was tipping him $100 uh, per drink. So he's like, he can drink however he wants, just knock himself out. And, and uh, But providing a great experience for the customers, um, like for me, I was, it was difficult for me because some people expect the bartender to know about sports. Some people, uh, accidentally listen to some news network or a news podcast on their way into the bar and are ready to discuss it with somebody. But those aren't my wheelhouses. I don't, uh, well, it's also a cardinal rule. You don't talk about politics or religion in a bar, but right. if, but if they want to talk about baseball in general or basketball or, you know, I'm like, I'm lost, dude. If you, you want to talk about the Doobie brothers, I, I'd love to talk about that. You know, <laughs> But yeah, you know, providing him providing him the experience that they want, it was kind of tough for me, but it took me a long time to learn. Uh, would, uh, see if you agree with this. Uh, it took me a long time to learn. Well, I don't know anything about that, but this guy sitting right next to you and get them to be friends. In so I don't have to stand there going, "Oh, really? No, that's crazy." You know. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely been there before as well, but yeah, I mean, it actually took until the end of my bartending career, which would have been, uh, 2015. Uh, I worked at a five-star hotel and at a five-star hotel, there's a very specific list of things, uh, you have to do, like offer them a single guest, two types of reading material. Um, you always have to have options. You always have, you know, but in that environment, I worked along aside another Kevin and this guy was, you know, I'm five, seven on a very good day. This guy was smaller than me, not athletic build at all, but he would make it a point to come in early, grab a newspaper, figure out what was going on in the world, figure out what was going on in sports. So he could ramble off those things back to any customer who walked in or better yet his regulars. And this was a quirky and wild guy. I can tell you crazy stories about him for days but this was one lesson that I learned from him and that he did very well. Um, you know, he sold himself to these customers. He made sure that they were happy and he knew how to talk about what they wanted to talk about. Oh, that's actually really brilliant. That's not, not something that I ever thought about is to get in and find, uh, you know, watch current events or something like that before heading to work. Cause usually it was wake up a uh, cup of coffee. Okay. Get in the car, go. But, uh, and usually by the time I got off work, Sports Center was on repeats. So yeah. And but you know, Sports Center got me out of a lot of conversations. And just look, ESPN right there. And but, 
but uh yeah i mean it was uh that making conversation being a slight introvert in my own opinion that made bartending difficult but i used bartending as a way to try to get myself out of it to learn how to talk to people and it helped a little bit i i think did you ever have any problems with that um i I was an extrovert. I was, uh, my, my parents were just a hyperactive kid because ah. I always wanted attention. always wanted to talk to everyone. I could talk, 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 talk for days. I'll tell you, I had almost an opposite of that problem and problem where after I'd bartended for so many years, I noticed that I would become more introverted. Mm. Um, and again, this is part of what I was saying before where bartenders become jaded, so to speak, but like you're giving away your energy day in and day out at work. Uh, yeah. It's tough to get up and where everyone else gets to protect their energy and be very selective over who um, they give their energy to. But I think you can do that as a bartender and use it to your advantage. Like you said, you were uh, an introverted person, but you would use this job uh, to perform these tasks to get yourself to be more extroverted. So I think we can be selective uh, over our energies and be extroverted when we need to be and introverted when we want to be. Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard that said a number of times. I totally agree with you that the customers kind of siphon the energy out of you. And so, and becoming jaded, uh, uh, one of my previous guests actually brought up that it became kind of, uh, uh, things would happen in the bar that would be unusual in any other situation, but that day you're just looking at it. Oh, those two people are doing that on my pool table. Okay. Well, somebody stop them. <laughs> it, it, it's just sometimes uh, there are days where you're just like, nothing surprises you. It's just like, and any other situation, yeah. it would be weird. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. You know, as a bartender, you get to see, you see it all basically. Yeah. Glenfiddich 12-year single malt scotch whiskey is exceptionally complex with notes of fresh pear and subtle oak. A distinctive fresh and fruity nose with a hint of pear followed by the palate of butterscotch, cream, malt, and subtle oak. Its characteristics is sweet and fruity notes that develop into elements of butterscotch, cream, malt, and subtle oak flavor. Long, smooth, and mellow. If you want to try the smooth, mellow flavor of Glenfiddich, Head over to cwspirits.com, use coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 and get 5% off your entire order. And please, remember to drink responsibly. Hey, bartender! Anyway, let's get to talk about your ambassadorship with uh, Glenn Fittick. Now, my experience with, with Glenn is that when people came up to me and said, I want a single malt. And that was always the brand that I had, I could go to because that was the only, uh, I think that was the only one that my bar carried, uh, as for a single malt. And so now give me a little bit of information on like the single malts and the blends and, uh, a few details on, uh, let's, well, let's start right there. You know, some details about single malts yeah. and blends. So we'll just talk about Scotch whiskey in general. Um, and my goal, and this goes back to my uh, special uh, for the day, being an old fashioned, my goal is to get people to understand that at the end of the day, it's whiskey. Whiskey that's made in Scotland, is it made differently? Yes, but it's whiskey. Uh, so that's the biggest thing to remember. Now, 
Uh, Scotland has, you know, different exports, but the largest one is blended whiskey. Um, and it's been that way forever. In fact, single malt is such a, is a very small portion. Uh, it's my opinion that it should be more coveted because of that. Uh, I think about, I, it's, I know it's under 10% of the Scotch whiskey that gets exported from Scotland is single malt. So I think that's quite special to be honest. So, um, you know, Glenfiddich being a uh, single malt from Speyside where they produce, you know, a large amount of single malts for the whole entire country. And it's one small region. Uh, we have to do a lot to stand out in general. So quick difference between uh, blended scotch and single malt blended simply means it comes from different distilleries. You know, you got your, your big top dogs, right? Of the blended uh, whiskeys, you know, you got your doers, you got your Johnny Walkers and, I believe it's Johnny Walker Black that never has less than never has whiskey from less than I don't remember the twenty eight distilleries or thirty two. It's in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so whiskey from a lot of different distilleries coming over, whereas single malt and Glenfiddich, uh, who also happens to know, own some of the oldest whiskey stocks in the country, um, and the most some of the most like one of the most uh, stocks in all the country, um, our whiskeys that you get like the two samples you have in front of you are going to come from just us, just one single distillery, um, which I think provides a much more uh, unique uh, flavor to it. Now, uh, the aging process, uh, that's something that I've always been curious about. I used to make jokes with fellow bartenders or friends. Uh, I had a friend uh, from high school whose uncle, I think, invested in a scotch distillery and... Uh, I was thinking, well, how long do they let it age before they can start bottling it? Because, uh, you know, the fir- if it's like they're intending it to be a 12-year scotch, the first 12 years, you're not going to see any return on that. And, you know, it's a long ter- long-term investment. Um, tell me a little bit uh, about the aging process. You're absolutely right. In fact, I was lucky enough on my last visit to Scotland to go to Isla where a new distillery was just erected. And they cannot sell their own whiskey because you need to have it for a minimum for a, a few years before you can start bottling it and sell it, selling it. So what they had was different spirits that most likely their supplier had contributed from their different distilleries from around the world. They had rums and, and other uh, spirits there uh, as well. Uh, but the maturation process, I think talking to any Scotch whiskey distillers and creators, they're going to argue that, the flavor that you're tasting is roughly 60 to 70% of that comes from strictly the maturation process. Mm. With that being said, I think it's kind of funny having had worked for other single malts before that. I think the majority of the people that I, I know of in the distilleries I've been to, um, they all kind of do it a bit differently. Uh, for instance, finishing is a, a technique used all over Scotland throughout our, our single malts. And finishing can mean one thing at one distillery and something a little bit different at another distillery. And that's, usually based on the amount of time. Uh, some distilleries think finishing should take two years or three years. Uh, at Glenfiddich, I think what we do really well is that uh, based on the oak that we're using and based on Brian Kinsman, our master distiller's opinion, we'll decide exactly how long we want to finish a whiskey or <clears throat> mature that whiskey. And sometimes it's a six-month finish. Sometimes it's a one- to three-month finish. And sometimes it's a two-year finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can, it can be different based on the oak that we're using. So maturation in oak 
man, I'll tell you what, uh, Anthony, we can do a whole podcast and talk forever about maturation oak, and we wouldn't cover it all. Because <laughs> uh, I've talked to a number of uh, aficionados when it comes to scotch, and they sit back and they say nothing less than 12 years or nothing less than uh, whatever. And I've often wondered, okay, it, they must have developed a good enough palate to, fi- uh, to figure out what they like. And it's tough for uh, my brain. I don't drink a lot, honestly, uh, because I'm bad at it. It's not because I, I'm a, a, you know, I'm not, not because I'm a former alcoholic, not because I think drinking's bad for you. No, I'm just really bad at drinking. But uh, <laughs> I, I do do the occasional uh, sample here and there, maybe on a special occasion, I'll have a drink with people. But some of this stuff, I'm um, not quite uh, all there for. Now, these samples you gave me um, uh, that I received, uh, one has a one bottle has a 12 on it, and the other one has a 14. I'm assuming that's samples of the, that particular age. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take a sniff here. And Okay, that was a sniff of the 12. That smelled really smooth. <laughs> smoother than some of the stuff that I've tried in the and so our R12 is a quintessential space side and honestly Anthony I would I this is how I do my tastings if if I have scotch drinkers in the room people who love single malt already we're going to dive right into that 12 and it's they it could it could very well be the highlight of the tasting they won't know it and most Americans are fixated on numbers so they're going to jump up to my 18 and say that was the best even if they didn't even taste it, they're going to say that's the best because that's how it goes. But my job and what I love about my job is getting those scotch drinkers to try that 12 year um, and compare it to any 12 year they've had. Because as a bartender, that 12 year blew my socks off. Mm. Um, Single malts are traditionally, you know, speaking of maturation in oak, single malts are traditionally matured in European oak, which is a broad general term that usually means Spanish oak that previously held sherry in the sherry region of Spain uh, or American oak, which is most likely going to be ex bourbon um, and, and a few select amazing single malts. It means uh, new American oak. Uh, at least the percentage of it was influenced by new American oak, like our 14. So, uh, Andy, if you're going to, if you wanted to taste one, I would direct you and anyone like you to the 14. Okay. First, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even jump to the 12. We might get to it later after we've developed a conversation and talked a little bit about single malt. And if you want to dive in, we do that. But when I'm tasting, whether it be bartenders or consumers, um, I'm not here to, I don't, I don't, we don't, Glenn Fittick doesn't need to win over consumers or bartenders. We certainly would like to, um, but I, I'm not going to force any whiskey down, down anyone's throat. I would never do that. What I would like to do is show you a whiskey that you either are not super familiar with or don't know about at all. Uh, and potentially, you know, get you to enjoy it. So that 14 was created very specifically for the American whiskey drinker. Mm. When we launched that in 2019, it was the U.S. exclusive. Now we've broadened our horizon to the entire uh, continent of North America. So my friends in Canada and Mexico can stop calling me and asking me to ship bottles over the uh, county country lines because I can't do that. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I would never do that. Um but yeah, we've, we've now gone full uh, continent of, of North America can have this lovely whiskey and it's our bourbon barrel reserve. 
again, meant to recruit American whiskey drinkers. So Brian Kinsey made, made a lovely whiskey that was matured strictly in American uh, oak, which is predominantly going to be ex-bourbon. But we also used some new American oak with a char level of 4.5, which is pretty high. It's, it's about, about as high as you can get. And um, I think that's like a finishing salt on a nice steak. Um, you know, it just, it, it brings out every other flavor that's already there, but it enhances it tenfold. Uh, and I think it's just a beautiful drink. Now, uh, you've given me, uh, uh, what I consider encyclopedia knowledge. I've probably just scratched the surface of your knowledge of this stuff so far, but, uh, from being a bartender to a brand ambassador, how did that come about? Oh man. Well, I, I, lo- I love this story because it's, it's a big part of, of who I am. Um, and it was, a, there was a lot of happenstance that led to a lot of opportunity, but that, that opportunity was only for me to earn a brand ambassador position. So I, I'm being slightly vague because I, I did start out working for another brand, mm-hmm. but um, when I was working at that five-star hotel, some, a lot of strange thing ha- things happened. Uh, a lovely woman sat at my bar and ordered a cocktail and I served her and it was the brand she was working for, but she didn't tell me. And I told her that it was a great brand. So she hired me to work um, offsite events for her and bartend for these events. Um, and the first one, I'll never forget it, was for uh, a music producer by the name of No ID out of Chicago who helped you know hip hop artists ranging from Common to even influencing Kanye West. Um, so I was in a room with this guy serving drinks and I thought this was awesome. This is amazing. Um, and a week later, my distributor who was pining for my attention and wanted to get his spirits on my menu. And he knew that I was putting drinks on my menu offered to take me to lunch with, uh, a guy who, uh, was like the eighth generation heir to a family in Cognac who made this very, uh, well-known Cognac. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I am sitting at the table with the guy whose last name is on all these bottles. So my mind was blown. <laughs> and then within two weeks of that, somebody else was in my bar scouting me unbeknownst to me, ordered the same drink. I served it, told him all these lovely things about it. Cause I just had lunch with the guy who's responsible for making it. Um, and they decided to allow me to interview for this job. Now, I, I know you've talked to other brand ambassadors. I'm not sure how much they tell you. I don't even know how much we're allowed to tell you about this interview process. But what I will tell you is that it's crazy. It's uh, and a very intense process. I've interviewed in multiple states, had phone calls with people in many different states for the same job, um, even taking calls from my hotel rooms on the road um, to talk to these people. And William Grant, the parent company of Glenn Fittick is known for being kind of an ambassador Mecca. We've got some of the greatest ambassadors. So from the outside looking in, I said, man, I want to be like those, those people. Uh, I want to work for that company. And they definitely didn't make it easy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have to, you have to earn your stripes, so to speak. So um, I'll never forget flying to New York for that uh, interview and being told I had to, create and market to them my own whiskey. Oh, wow. It was just a mind blowing and amazing opportunity. Um, as an ambassador, we like to create, we like to invent things, um, and just have fun. It's what we do. So I thought it was a tremendous opportunity, but 
quite the intensive interview process and still, you know, when it's such a coveted job, you're up against some pretty brilliant and amazing people. I don't know what else to, to say. I, I'm, I'm a humble Midwesterner, so I can't, I wouldn't brag about anything. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a tough job to get and I'm thankful for it every day. Yeah. I, um, the reason why I asked you about that is, uh, is because like I, I've talked to other brand ambassadors and they found it a welcome change from being in the service industry, but staying in kind of the same area of the service industry to be still be connected to the restaurants and still be connect, uh, connected to bars and stuff like that. And they found it as a welcome change. One guy even said that uh, he wasn't sure how long his knees were going to uh, be able to last being a bartender and luckily found his way into an ambassadorship. But it, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating job. I've met a few ambassadors from back when I was a bartender and some of them would come in and, but my, my boss at the time would only invite like the stuff that the kids were drinking, uh, like the liqueurs, the, uh, fancy vodkas, things like that. She would invite those people in. And most of the time they're there to have a party. They're there to throw t-shirts, keychains, uh, uh, have, have games, whatever. Now, when you're promoting something like Len Fittick, is it uh, dip? Is it different? Yes, in fact, uh, Anthony, I'd almost argue, and there's this is one of my biggest issues with being an ambassador is we get confused or called reps a lot of the time. Mm. And granted, we do represent our brand, but there are so many other people who represent our brand who do things like that, um, such as you know uh, marketing teams and um, the distributor and other so many. There's so many other moving parts to this and they come in and they do t-shirts and things like that. Um, I think a brand ambassador, um, although we come in with those people when they do that. Um, so we're, we're definitely synonymous there. Uh, a brand ambassador, what I wish bartenders were more aware of is that we, we advocate for advocate for a brand that we truly love, but our brand will never not be synonymous with the industry. That will always be our brand. So I want to advocate for you. I want to make sure that let's say you are that bartender who thinks their knees are going to go. One of my favorite things to do is to take bartenders out and do something healthy. Now I might educate you on Glenfiddich, but we might not necessarily drink that day. Mm. You know, I will be in your bar a week before a week after having Glenfiddich. I'll even take you out for a Glenfiddich, but maybe this day we're going to go for a run uh, as a group of bartenders. Or what I did last month is I took uh, about 20 bartenders to a rock climbing gym. Mm. And I said, hey, you guys, let's try something different, you know, or we'll do yoga, um, things like that. So, you know, bartenders, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of memes out there about ambassadors and, you know, you got your, your mover and shakers and your red tip bar spoon Instagram pages that'll poke fun at the people going in and doing spends and things like that. But truly like, I just want to make bartenders happy. Uh, and I want to advocate for the best single malt scotch on the planet. That's all I want to do as an ambassador. Sure. And educate at the same time. It sounds like. Definitely. hundred percent. Education is huge. Yeah. Uh, cause like, uh, you and I just talked about, uh, I know very little to nothing about scotch and, uh, 
luckily, uh, the only scotch that I had in my, lucky for me, the only scotch that I had in my bar was the one that you're an ambassador for. So I, I call that a win in my book. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a win. Now, do you actually, do you only interact with the bar owners, the bartenders, or do you in, interact with the customers also? We definitely interact with consumers as well. Um, you know, it, it's an, an evolving job and a never-ending job, um, but we're working with everyone we can. We advocate for the brand. So, yes, we do it with consumers. We do it with bar owners. We do it with um, liquor store owners, everyone. But let's, let's say in a situation, a hypothetical situation, you're at a steakhouse, and uh, this – uh, this guy, he just finished himself a 16-ounce prime rib, uh, baked potatoes, a salad, and all of a sudden decides he wants to cap the night off with with a, a drink. Would you suggest to him a 14-year Glen, or would you step into his bubble and make suggestions like that? So that's a very uh, tough thing to do, uh, but I have navigated that path before. So if I'm at a restaurant or if I'm seated at a table, um, or if a guest is, I'll never approach a table. I think that can be perceived as rude. I don't think it is rude necessarily, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I like to do, especially cause most likely a lot of the times I will know the server serving me, I'll say, Hey, you know, as long as I'm here, man, if anyone else wants a Glenfiddich, I would happily buy that round. Huh. Or cool. if I'm sitting at a bar. And the patron next to me is, uh, you know, mulling over the menu and not sure what he wants or he inquires to the bartender about Glenfiddich or single malt. Then I think it's uh, appropriate. I might chime in and, and, and offer a suggestion of grabbing a pour of the 14, like you said. It, 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 I just realized it can be difficult if you jump into somebody's personal space or their bubble where uh, that's a consumer. Now, the, the sure. bartender, you can educate, you can uh, uh, you can point in certain directions, but to act, actually approach like me, if I'm, I decide to go to a steakhouse, I'm sitting at the bar and then all of a sudden somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, you know what you should do? And I'd be like, ah, you know, get, uh, get away from me before I run, you know, <laughs> but right. Can you imagine if anyone else tried to, you know, advertise or market their whatever at a, in the middle of a bar, like, you know, use these paint supplies or, yeah. you know, it, it'd be too weird. Yeah. Well, I've heard, uh, my good friend from, uh, when I was a bartender, she said back in the eighties, it wasn't, that wasn't unusual. She said that people would come into the bar, sell jewelry, sell furs, sell, uh, flowers. It, it, that, that was not uncommon because it was, that was a different era. I mean, for happy hour, people came in with nice suits on and nice dresses, and it, it was completely different. And then when the 80s ended, it all became uh, polo shirts and khakis, and most of that stuff went away. But, uh, yeah, to see, like, a carnival barker to all of a sudden jump up in the middle of a, uh, a, middle of a restaurant, that would be weird today. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I think there's still small pockets on the south side here where that still happens, but outside of there... Yeah, it's probably it's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. <laughs> so, uh, how long did it take you to learn all the aspects of Glenfiddich, or did you already know it going into the job? So, I was lucky enough to have a brilliant tasting that I never forgot about back in 2013, um, and that's kind of why I wanted to work for Glenfiddich. Um, so, I knew some things, but 
in anything, ambassador, bartender, wherever you are, I think you're always going to be learning. I think there's always more to learn. So I've been in the role for two years now. Um, and I feel blessed with the amount of knowledge that Brian Kinsman shared with me one-on-one or the other ambassadors in the nation or even, uh, strewing, uh, our global ambassador. But I feel like I'm going to continue to learn and I will always be learning. Definitely. There's always something new to learn at all times. Tell me more about the brand. Now, how long has the Glenfiddich been around? So Glenfiddich's been around since 1887. Um, William Grant and his sons, you know, so William Grant prior to that was a shoe cobbler, which I think this is such a great story. Being a Midwesterner, this truly resonates with me and I love it so much. Um, He was a shoe cobbler, nothing to do with whiskey at all. It was a prominent job at the time, but it had nothing to do with whiskey at all. Um, worked his way into a distillery by managing the books financially for an, another uh, prominent distiller at the time uh, at Mortlock Distillery and decided he was going to learn everything he could about making whiskey while he was there. And he did so for roughly 20 years, um, saved up roughly 100 pounds uh, a year, even though he had seven sons, two daughters, and a wife to feed and do other things. That was a huge amount of money to save. Uh, in that, in that era saved his, his pennies. And, you know, when he decided to build the still, for one, everyone built the still, his seven sons, two daughters, and one Mason helped build this still or this, this, this distillery, excuse me. And his stills, the first two stills we ever owned, he bought secondhand. Awesome story. The distillery that used them wanted to get rid of them. Didn't think they could get the whiskey they wanted. Uh, in single malt scotch, when you're distilling prior to maturation, you want a fruitier floral distillate in most cases, in a lot of cases. And this distillery didn't think they would get these from these short, squatty stills that we commonly refer to as onion stills. So got rid of them at a bargain, and we gladly picked them up because William Grant knew I could make a beautiful floral and fruity distillate from these secondhand stills. And we are today still, very, we use the same shape stills as we did back then. We're still very much known for our apple and pear notes, synonymous throughout our core range and, and almost all of our whiskey. Um, so again, super humble rags to riches story. It didn't stop there. You know, his sons, his nephews um, would tour the world trying to get this product out to the world. Went all over the place. Um and then in the 1960s, uh, roughly 100 years later, uh, whiskey was booming in general. If you've ever watched Mad Men uh, about the original Ad Men when marketing came to fruition and people could market things in a magazine, which was the technology at the time to get your get things out there. Uh, again, those blended scotches were being uh, marketed and ads were showing up in magazines and billboards and things like that. So scotch was becoming more popular. Um, during that time frame, we opened up the first ever um, visitor center. We were the first ones to say, Hey, let's let people come and see how, you know, how we make the whiskey. It's important. Um, we also were the first ones to start putting single malts on our bottles at the time in the 1960s. That wasn't done yet. It was the majority of the bottles said pure malt. So we were pioneering things left and right. Um, still being family owned and still growing. Um, and I mean, fast forward to today, Kirsten Grant, who I believe is the great, great granddaughter of uh, William Grant, 
still works for the company. Uh, she lived in Illinois prior to, to 2020 um, and is still very much involved in how things are done. So we never stopped being family-owned. We're still innovating. We just finished uh, the uh, Grand Series, which is a 21, a 23, and a 26-year whiskey. Uh, we just launched the 26-year Grand Caron to complete the series. So we're still very much pushing the genre of single malt scotch. We're, we're trying to do new things whenever we can, um, all while remaining a family-owned company. Uh, I love to hear that it's these big uh, big companies are family owned that uh, I love hearing things like that. Now uh, you've met all these people. How far up the company have you met the people? Have you met the, uh, the original owner's great granddaughter or great, 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 uh, however many greats. She's great either way. She's definitely <laughs> great. Um, so true story. When I first uh, interviewed and got hired on for Glenfiddich, I was living in Miami I was an ambassador down in Miami and they offered me an opportunity to come home. Unfortunately, due to COVID, well, fortunately I got to come home and all that crazy stuff happened. Unfortunately, due to COVID, Kirsten Grant was doing the same thing. Mm. So I literally just missed her. And also because of COVID, I haven't physically been to Scotland to meet any of these people yet. And again, like Brian Kinsman and I have had lovely one-on-one zoom sessions, but Unfortunately, being in a pandemic, it's been tough to, to actually meet people in person. Uh, but I've heard, you know, rumors to the grapevine that in the next few months, I'll be getting to meet all the right people. Oh, the, getting to, are you, you're going to get to visit Scotland? It's, uh, it's penciled in right now. It's, uh, it's unofficially official. That would be incredible. That's, uh, I've, I've always, that's one of the places that I've on this earth that I've wa- definitely wanted to visit. And uh, because you know, beautiful landscaping that I always see in pictures and movies and stuff like that. And, uh, I just have to, uh, remind my, no, I'm not going to say that. Let's keep that to myself, but, (laughs) but beautiful landscaping and, you know, I'm sure beautiful things to see all over the place and just a very classic land. And it looks very relaxing. It looks very, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it, it just seems classic to me. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's gorgeous. I mean, I've been to Edinburgh is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen on the planet. Uh, but I've also been out to Isla, which is the complete polar opposite of a major city. I mean, I would joke around and say there's more sheep than people there uh, <laughs> because I'd go on a run on the Island every morning and I'd see tons of sheep and I might see one person but the people are beautiful nonetheless. Um, you're right. It is, it is classic, but it's, it's a beautiful place and I can't wait to get back. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, some of those opportunities that you, uh, you ambassadors get to have to, uh, cause you have to know about your brand. You, and in, in order to be able to really represent your brand, they really have to put you in there. They have to engulf you with everything. I'm sure about the company they can't just say here's a book read it okay now get out there they i'm sure they want you to be as involved with the company as much as possible right 100 in fact it's it's always a part and again outside of covid i would have already been twice because you, you go either you go once to twice a year at, at least and um part of glenfiddich is you actually go and work the distillery uh and you give the tours so you are literally in, get to see every part of it 
you learn it and then you also share that knowledge. Um, so I've done all this virtually and again with Brian Kinsman, but later this year I'll have my opportunity to actually get back there. You have done tours at the distillery? Am I understanding that? No, uh, we, have oh. a, we have a virtual tour that I've, I've we have, unfortunately we're not doing tours and I can't speak to right this moment if we are or not, mm. but we hadn't been doing tours for about two years. Okay. Virtual tours. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's got to be fun, but uh, to be actually there and seeing everything in motion and uh, meeting the people, that's got to be a completely different feeling. And I, ho- I hope you get to do that really soon, and hopefully you get to come back on the show and tell me about it. <laughs> I would love to. Because uh, that's not something that I uh, that I really have the opportunity to do just yet, but I would love to. So, uh, uh, just Even just visiting local stuff, that would be fun. But, um, so are they doing anything special with their product, uh, right now or any new promotions? Um, so a few things are going on. Some things we can't talk about until they actually happen. But again, we did just finish our grand series last year. We launched our grand Quran, which again was delayed uh, a year, but we finally launched it and we're super ecstatic to do that. It's a 26 year old single malt finished in cognac casks an absolute brilliant, brilliant whiskey. Um, Crown actually is French for crown and it is the crowning jewel in our grand series. And it truly is a remarkable way to finish that series. Um, so those whiskeys will always be special and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. As a bartender, I used to joke around with my customers because uh, like I said, I wasn't that educated on the distilling process and all that sort of thing. But I used to make jokes all the time like, They'd ask me, what's the difference between this many year and this many year? And I said, uh, depends on how, how far back in the warehouse it was and before they could get to it. But uh, uh, but some of you gave me a, a lot of enlightenment and knowledge that, on how and why that's uh, that all that happens. But still in the back of my head, I'm thinking, sitting there thinking, wow, they left a barrel in the back of the warehouse for 50 years. But <laughs> I mean, it's an intense process. I mean, Brian Kinsman, again, we age to the point of maturity or, or point of elegance. Um, you, you can overage a whiskey. Um, so not to take away from your jokes, I think it's absolutely hilarious, and I might actually use it. Um, <laughs> you know, Brian Kinsman has to check on those barrels often to make sure that we're not aging too long. So um, it's an intense process, probably a great one to be able to do, but he's always checking on those. Oh, that's, uh, that's great. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show. So, Kevin, thank you so much. Hey, I got your name right this time. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show and giving me all this information and uh, about being an ambassador and more information about the process that Glenfiddich does with their product because it's way more involved and in-depth than I'd ever uh, ever seen because you don't see things like that on dirty jobs. (laughs) You definitely don't, Anthony. Thanks for having me. It's been great talking with you. Uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. You can always reach out. We can talk more whiskey. If not, you can always head to glenfiddich.us. There's tons of information on the website for all things single malt scotch. Yeah. Do you have any other social medias or anything that you'd like to plug before we sign off? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, the underscore whiskey underscore cleric. Uh, so I'm not sure if you're familiar, but cleric is a name is, is a clergyman uh, or a man of God. My grandmother thought I was going to be a priest when I was a kid. She used to tell me all the time, which is weird because I was a tyrant. <laughs> um, 
But it's also in Scotland, it's, it was once how you referred to the new make spirit off the still. The clear, neutral spirit off the still uh, would have been called claret. Interesting backstory to that. Uh, all, <laughs> isn't, isn't it the case with all uh, parents and grandparents, they think that there's, uh, at least back in my era, uh, they think that, oh, uh, they're going to grow up to be a saint or be a priest, and they don't realize that you're uh, actually raising hell all, when they're not looking. <laughs> yeah. Clearly they're just not spending the right amount of time with you. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show and I hope to see you again soon. Cheers. Thank you, Anthony. Okay, people, that is it for Hey Bartender podcast. It is last call, last call for alcohol. Come on up, get your final drinks before you have to go home. Cause you're not staying here. Please remember to share, like, and subscribe to Hey Bartender Podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, anybody who's in the service industry, whether they be a server, dishwasher, or there happen to be a flight attendant. Always wanted to get a flight attendant on this show. I'm getting a lot of things that I've always wanted to do on this show, and this has been really fun. So if you want to be on the show, all you have to do is message me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com, or you can check me out on any of the social medias. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and DM me there. In fact, join me on TikTok and Instagram because I'm starting to post a lot of videos of me actually pouring drinks. And check out my series of lines from TVs and movies that I wish I said to customers when they ask for another drink. Those are a lot of fun. Big thanks to Kevin and Glenn Fittick for being on the show. I learned a ton more about Scotch than I ever knew and it was very informative, and let's face it, the guy was pretty cool. Go check him out on Instagram. The information to find him will be in the description of this podcast. Also, the link to cwspirits.com. Remember to use coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 when you order anything off of cwspirits.com. You automatically get 5% off your entire order, and if you order anything over $125, shipping is automatically free can't get any better than that also as usual i got an offer a big thanks to laura hope and the arc tones you guys have given me my theme song for the last five years or however long i've been doing this podcast and i love it remember people go check out laura hope and the arc tones they are on all the music streaming services itunes spotify listen to their stuff they are awesome but until next time ladies and gentlemen it is time for me to go home So I wish you all, as usual, lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness. And everybody say this with me. Don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's last call? I just got...